pray with me? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. We are the clay. We pray that you would shape us and form us to be containers of your goodness so that we might pour it out, that it might overflow from us, from in us to our world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for being here today and for what it means to be in this together as we think about our life together. We have been, in January, renewing our vows. Each Sunday has been a little mini vow renewal ceremony as we think about what we say we are committing to when we commit to each other and to God in our membership vows. And uh, those vows are this, that we pledge to be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and do all in our power to strengthen its ministries by our prayers and our presence our gifts, our service, and witness. Today we come to the fourth word in those vows, service, and are going to reflect together on what that means and reflect on the power of that and then recommit to it. When we use the word, uh, we use it, I, I got to thinking, we use it a lot of different ways, service. Reminds me of the story of a little boy who was standing outside the church sanctuary looking at a plaque on the wall, and he was uh, just sort of quizzical about it. And his mom came up and said, you know, what's going on? And he said, Mom, what is the plaque? And she looked, and it was the names of all the people who had died in the service. She told the little boy, this is the name of all the people that have died in the service from our church. And he said, which service was that, 815 or 930 or 11? We use service a lot of different ways. In Greek, the, the word that we get ministry from and service, administration, all comes from the basic idea of waiting tables. When we come and we say we're going to serve one another, what we mean is that our acts uh, of humility and service become a, a witness to Jesus. And uh, so by service, we mean anything offered up for that purpose, that Somehow, as we commit to that together, we all find this continual call to the highest uh, sort of life possible, the fullest sort of life possible, but that life is a life not of personal success or status, but of humble service offered up for the common good. Our vow of service is the practical application of agape love. It is one thing to say it, it is another thing to do it. 1 John 3 helps us make that connection. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And so our vision is of a selfless community of action, we say. A selfless community of action that through those acts of love and service extend hope to our city and world. It is a whole people who has discovered that this is really what life is about and then offer that together. It is both the what and the how of our lives. This vow to serve impacts what we choose to do, but just as importantly, it, cho- it impacts how we choose to do it. And as I think about how we all in some way are, are, are trying to find this, our purpose, I think sometimes we think, oh gosh, it's just one thing, and if I miss it, then I've lost it. But this vow to service reminds us that it isn't just one thing, it's kind of everything. And there's some freedom in that. It's, uh, it's not that we, we get, you know, kind of one shot and we find one trajectory for our life purpose. No, this is a walking into of a, a, a calling. 
And we, we actually say that this is not just uh, you know, about us. This is something we do with Christians around the world, that really this vow of service is not just our thing, but it is a Jesus thing, that when we are baptized, this becomes the thing that we rise to. The symbolism of baptism is that we die with Christ, and then we're raised to new life. And so by serving, we don't mean just what we do, we mean who we are. We're talking about a new identity. So we imagine all of those things that hold us back from who we really are, the sin that entangles us, the, the ways that we don't understand who we are and what we're about, they, they begin to melt away as we come up to new life. And all of that begins to walk out into new possibility. Possibilities emerging now simply because we are gracious recipients of a gift. All of life becomes a gift. This is what we say about this baptismal purpose. We call it our baptismal vocation. And this is from our United Methodist teaching on baptism called By Water and the Spirit. And might, maybe you would just maybe say, that, say this with me. Let's join together. Through baptism, God calls and commissions persons to the general ministry of all Christian believers. This ministry in which we participate both individually and corporately is the activity of discipleship. It is grounded upon the awareness that we have been called into a new relationship, not only with God, but also with the world. The task of Christians is to embody the gospel and the church in the world. We exercise our calling as Christians by prayer by witnessing to the good news of salvation in Christ, by caring for and serving other people, and by working toward reconciliation, justice, and peace in the world. And of course, who doesn't want that? Which one of us would say, yeah, no, I'm kind of against that, right? This is, this is something that we don't have to be convinced of. But I think all of us, in one way or another, struggle with this struggle to figure out what we're here for, struggle to figure out what to do in a particular situation or circumstance. It's one thing to say I want to represent Christ in the world, but when it comes down to specific situations, how does somebody like me do something like that? I think all of us struggle with what our part in it is. What do I bring to the table? And our ordinariness and our humanness and our issues become distractions or maybe even obstacles to figuring out simply what to do. I think all of us struggle with trying to figure out how our small part connects to the bigger whole and how small acts of service have anything to do with the great problems of the world. As we watch the news, as we have maybe in the last week, we wonder how these kinds of words and these things that we say in the church that sound great when we sit here in a context of worship change the, the realities that we see on TV. And so this call to service is an ongoing challenge, I think, and an ongoing opportunity to continue to keep offering up the, the thing, not just what we do, but how we do all that we do, and to continue to keep at it even when it doesn't seem like it matters at all. This call to make our lives about service perhaps calls forth 
from us something that we don't even know that we have, and eventually, over time, will call us to things that we couldn't have imagined doing. And that this is a really important part. This is really, this is the essential part of love in action. It's been said, it's not that we live in the church, that we, it's not that we live in the world and go to church, it's that we live in the church and go to the world. And next week we're going to talk about that as we celebrate our witness together. But that witness, the most profound part of our witness, is these simple acts that ordinary people do that somehow, by God's grace, represent Jesus. And so uh, it is especially true as we think about doing that together. I think a lot of times when we talk about purpose, we're, we're thinking about that as an individual thing. You're finding, you know, oh, the places you will go, maybe, is the, is the book, that, uh, that imagines a personal path toward whatever is your intended purpose. But the scripture puts this more in a community uh, 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 of people. And in, in a lot of ways, I think that's helpful because it takes the small part and then keeps connecting it to the whole. And when we read uh, scriptures like 1 Corinthians 12, that's the dynamic happening over and over again. The dy dynamic of people who have various idiosyncrasies and differences and gifts and, and yet are somehow part of this united whole. And so Paul uses the metaphor of a body, a physical body that helps us understand spiritual realities. And the metaphor in so many ways is perfect in that it is about diversity and unity at the same time. The, the, the way a body works, simply put, is that the more unique a certain part is, the more useful and important it is to the whole. And the more it is able to discover its identity and purpose, the more the whole benefits. In fact, it doesn't work any other way. And so in every other reality, it might seem like the more we become diverse, the more we go apart. But somehow in Christ, it works the other way. Somehow the more you become who you were intended to be all along, somehow the more you live into your purpose and then offer that up to the common good, stuff starts coming back together again. Now, to be honest, Paul uses a lot of metaphors for the church. He uses this one specifically, that, that we are a body, the body of Christ. Uh, he uses that only when things aren't going well, when people are actually struggling to be who they fully are and come together at the same time. And nowhere is that more true than in 1 Corinthians, in the, the Corinthian church. What we find there is this struggle living out. So you can almost always uh, say about the Bible when there's something said is because somebody's struggling to do it. it, it that, that sometimes we, we read it, I think, and think, oh, well, this is this lofty goal that none of us could attain to. What we find instead, it is, it is actually practical application. Here's some people that are really struggling with something that we also struggle with. The, the struggle to find unity amidst our diversity. And that is that, that struggle for cohesiveness is a big part why, of why Paul writes to the church in Corinth in the first place. They're struggling to hold it together. And we find this in 1 Corinthians 1, right at the beginning in, in, in chapter 1, verse 10. This is what he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. And that word appeal is a strong word, like, hey, you got to listen to this. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, which means that they're not agreeing with one another, that they're disagreeing a lot. 
and what, I, what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, which means that there are actually divisions happening, which we'll find out, and that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household. Now, I mean, he starts naming names, and you have to think, was Chloe a tattletale? Like, can you imagine how we got the information? We'll never know. It's, it's like you, when you get feedback, I mean, is it a credible source of Chloe? Chloe just got called out, uh, and they're going to read this letter in front of God and everybody in the church. And so, like, hey, Chloe, thanks for sharing. My brothers and sisters, some of them from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean by this is, some, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. There are factions, denominations, you might say, already forming within the church. And people are aligning with different personalities in the mix. It's a good thing that doesn't happen anymore, right? That would be terrible. And so then Paul asks this rhetorical question. Is Christ divided? Boom. <laughs> like, let's just cut to the heart of this. There's division among you, but is Jesus divided? And of course the answer is no. And then he presses on using himself as an example. Was Paul crucified for you? No. The answers to these rhetorical questions are all no. We're starting to catch on. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Back to that thing we said at the beginning, that this, this new life that we have in Christ is the one thing that begins to put the world back together. Now, this issue of division in the church is throughout 1 Corinthians. Later in chapter 6, we read that people in the church are taking other people in the church to court and suing each other. And Paul's like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, that's the wrong way to go. In chapter 11, we read how the communion meal has found this uh, same kind of divisiveness, that during communion, as they sit around the table, which was probably much more of a feast in their time, some people are, have so much that they're getting drunk, and some people have so little that they don't even have bread. And right there in the story of Jesus, as we act it out, we have brought in our human divisions and status. And he calls that out. And so then we come to chapter 11. That, uh, that was 11. We come to chapter 12. And this theme of disunity in the church is picked up again, discussing things of the Spirit. And apparently in the Corinthian church, uh, they have found a way to make serving also about status about hierarchy, that maybe some gifts are more important than other gifts. Some gifts maybe seem more spiritual than other gifts. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 12 lists um, a whole list of high and lofty sounding gifts, wisdom, knowledge, doing miracles, healing, speaking in tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. It's, it's likely that the Corinthian church had discovered what we would call charismatic gifts, and perhaps has, has taken those and some of those that seem super spiritual or more mystical and have elevated those because they're so mysterious that somehow those gifts, like speaking in tongues, are, are, are higher above all the other gifts. Now, we've talked about 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul continues to call out division, and then here in 1 Corinthians 12, we we talked about how it comes together in one body. And then some of you, all of you, will know what happens 
in 1 Corinthians 13. The real outflow of all this comes as Paul nails it down and says, you're, you're missing the point. The whole point of this is love, and if you do everything else but don't have love, it's nothing. And here's what love is. Love is patient, and it is kind, and it doesn't boast because people in Corinth are boasting about the gifts they have from God and are using that to have some sense of status in the world. And Paul cuts through all of that. In the transition between chapter 12 and 13, he says, let me show you a more excellent way than the way that you've been doing it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. In a few weeks, we're going to take two weeks on 1 Corinthians 13, by the way. It's February. We're going to talk about love. The, the, the series is called Love Is Slash Isn't, which is what uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is about. And what he's helping the, the church do is put all of what we do in the, the wider context. When it may seem like those big and lofty and really flashy sorts of gifts rise to the top, they don't because this is about humble service in the name of Jesus rooted in love. And so in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says this, there are different kinds of gifts. So there's diversity. But then see what he keeps doing here. He keeps going back to the primary unity. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but there is just one Lord, and it's the same one that everybody is submitting to. There are different kinds of working, but all of them and everyone is really about God's work. Those works are interesting. The words are interesting. The word for gift, by the way, is charismata, charismata. And um, what's interesting about that word is that it ties up, the root word has, is, is the same word that's used for gratitude, for grace, and for gift. In English, those are different words for us. Gratitude, grace, gift. But in Greek, they're the same idea. That our gifts are a gift of God's goodness, out of God's graciousness, that we live into through, through, through gratitude. We're just, we're just so grateful that we don't have any other excuse but to serve. And that brings serving into the realm of, of love. We're serving tables, not serving egos. We're seeing the various kinds of work as the work of God in us. And all of it, all of it, all of it is important. And so Paul makes three points that I think are helpful to us. This is the first. Everybody has a gift from God. Everybody has a gift from God. And it is for the common good. This is uh, verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is not about an individual kind of spiritual path. This is a thing that comes together that makes the whole more than the sum of the parts. And your little part is not for you to decide, oh, that's not important. It is important. It's necessary. That's why God gave it to you. Nobody is left out. Nobody is left out. And so the, the dynamics in each of us is grace, gratitude, gift playing out. Part of the beauty of this is that God has doled it out so that you get to experience with him living into this graciousness as it unfolds in the world. And service is how that happens. And it holds together not because we're awesome. 
It holds together not because we get all the people with these gifts over here and we get them to go in here and we get all the people with these gifts over here and then they each kind of do their own segment. No, it just mixes together. It holds together because this is really about something that God is doing through us. Now, I think some of us feel like when, you know, however the gift thing was doled out, you know, you stand in line for a while and you get to the front of the line, it's like, and then, you know, God gives you the thing, you're like, uh, can I have another one? You know, think that some of us, you know, we, we kind of naturally do that. We struggle to see where our, how our gift is important or how it fix, fits in the mix. Some of the jobs that are given out seem more, you know, important than others. Somehow, maybe standing up in front or being up above people on the platform, that's got to be more important than the stuff that happens behind the scenes. But here's the second point. Each gift is important as the other one. Not only do you have a gift, but it's as important as the others. The, the mundane one's just as important as the flashy ones. And in some ways, more so. Because it takes a, a constant connection to why that part is important. Maybe you saw this meme from the 2018 Olympics. Uh, it is a lifeguard overseeing the uh, swimming events at the Olympics. And we got zoomed in maybe on the lifeguard's face. I have a feeling that she doesn't feel like her job is super important, right? It's kind of, kind of boring. I actually I was reminded of this this week, last weekend. Uh, my, my son was swimming. It was a college swim meet, and they have... They have lifeguards at the college swim meet. It's like work study. You just sit up there for all, you do nothing, right? And they are, those guys are bored out of their minds, which is a little bit scary because I have actually seen one time where there needed to be a lifeguard at a, at a swim meet, and the lifeguard was so checked out that they didn't notice that one of the swimmers started struggling. It's kind of like going over to the, the side and holding on to the, to the wall, and we had to say, hey, there's somebody over there, and they didn't hear us. And so, like, one of the ladies, I was at the, the booth running the computer, one of the ladies beside me got up and went, hey, you, wake up! And uh, went and, you know, had to, had to help. But pretty much, uh, it's a boring job, right? All of us struggle to be ready in some way or another to, to rise to the moment. And sometimes we feel like our job is useless. And so that is part of the challenge. So then Paul's point is, uh, is important. The third one is that my gift is given for service, not for status. You, we don't have to understand where it fits. We don't have to put it into our natural tendency to have a hierarchy and a pecking order. We simply need to offer it. Our new identity in Christ no longer needs all of that. Part of what falls away is the need to have it all figured out. My new life in Christ is about offering up as Jesus did what we have, not taking into account the outcomes which for me is the hardest part. I want to know how it works. I want to know where it gets. How is this successful? How does, it, how does it all tie together and make a difference? That's not really ours to figure out, is it? Ours, our task is to keep the connection and to be reminded that when it feels like we've offered up the same thing and it, whatever humble thing it is over and over and over and over and over and over, day after day after day after day, that, that we need to do it again the next day. This week I came into our work and uh, to, our, to, to the office, into the hallway, and um, 
I, I saw David Barbie. David's here uh, this morning, and I, David's one of my favorite people in the world, and I asked him if I could tell this story, and he said yes, and was very humbled that, that we would, um, would talk about him. But, um, and I don't want to embarrass you at all, David, but I came into the hallway, and it smelled clean. And I don't know, like, it wasn't a bleach smell. I don't, you know, it's like, I just, it hit me. It was just like, you know, a Monday morning or whatever it was, and it was like kind of going through the day, and it just stopped me. It's like, hmm, something smells good. It smells clean. So I said, David, something smells clean today. And he said, yeah, let me show you. And he walks me into the sanctuary over here. And they had cleared off the whole, whole front of the sanctuary, all the wood, and he had cleaned every part of it, like Murphy's oil soap and, and Jesus, kind of all mixed together. And I said, like, whoo, it sparkled and it smelled so good. And he said, yeah, I got up here and I had my mop going and I was listening to Rich Mullins. And he told me, like, the mop and Rich just were, like, in sync with one another. And he was praising God and thanking God for his goodness and, like, doing the thing. And David is an almost daily reminder to me of God's goodness. And uh, David witnesses to me, he preaches to me as much as I preach to him. And it is a gift. And I've seen God's goodness through you, David, over the last 12 or 13, whatever it's, years it's been. I've seen you come more fully alive in Jesus. And you're a gift to the rest of us. And I'm, I'm thankful. So David's waving at us. Let's thank David for his service. Appreciate you so much. It wasn't too long ago, actually, we, were, we got these new wood walls up here, and we didn't know that they would, like, they're just like static clean magnets, by the way. The dust goes, right? So, like, there was a whole day where we were trying to figure out what to do and how to get the dust off, and Joel and David and I were, like, putting our heads together, and David was like, I'm going to figure it out. And eventually he did. That's, that's important. It's, it's, a, it's part of our witness. And so I want, I want to remind us that our life together is built on small acts of service that we, we will never see all the parts. And like part of the dynamics in a church like ours is that we have different services. That, so you don't see what the people at 815 are doing week in and week out. You don't see what the people at the Greenwood campus are doing and maybe, maybe know them or maybe don't. You might not even know the person across the thing from you, even in this room. And, you know, sometimes we on the staff or the pastors see a little bit more of that picture. And part of our job is to kind of remind you that those things do actually connect. But the thing that we can't do for you and that I have to do for myself is just kind of that constant connection to this is a part of something bigger than me and that it matters. You know, we have one volunteer whose job it is to welcome the kids and families registering for Kids Zone at 930. We call uh, Butch our hype man. His job is to hype you up, you know, and like, because we know like when you're coming in with the kids and you're just happy to like get here at all, right? And we, I, I've been there. We know what happens in the car. You need Jesus by the time you get to church most weeks. And then you have to do the check-in thing and you have to work a computer on top of it and it's just almost too much. And there's, so it's one person's job just to distract the kids and make you feel welcome and make it feel like a grind, not like a grind, but grace instead. I think of when Chris Whitfield took over the sixth grade small group uh, several years ago. And, and, um, and Chris and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, our goal in, our, in our, our, um, our, our, our small groups in our youth ministry is to have somebody who walks with our young people through, from sixth grade all the way through. That's the vision. It doesn't always work out. But our hope is that they'll have another adult in their life that's there for them. 
Uh, so when Chris said yes to serving in youth ministry, he said yes to, to signing up for a, a group of sixth grade boys. And he should have asked how many we talk in here, right? Because it was 18. I remember that first, the first Sunday night. Uh, in fact, I peeked my head in. Chris said, uh, I peeked my head into the room. Actually, I was at the youth house. I peeked my head into the window. Chris said he had finally, after about 25 minutes, gotten 18 boys to concentrate. And then I peeked my head in to see how it was going. They yelled, stranger danger. And that was, that was the lesson. <laughs> it was over. But you know, when, um, when those kids, those boys, they held together. Uh, and that group held together in a way that maybe all of them don't because they had somebody there. And um, when, when they graduated, they handed him a book with pictures of every kid and life events that he had been there for as a, a thank you for shaping their lives. That's what we do, week in and week out, whether somebody knows it, knows it or not. There are people who make cards and send them. There are people who make prayer shawls and send them to people who are sick. This coming, uh, actually a week from Friday, the 10th of February, we're going to um, go to Camp Lucon and help get the camp ready for kids. One of my favorite stories is when we started mentoring in schools and, um, you, you know, the mentor thing is you go to lunch with a kid once a week. They have somebody in their life, and um, that's, lunch is kind of the primary place that that happens. And so uh, the lunch, we were at T.C. Cherry at that time only. Now we're at Cumberland Trace, too, but at, at T.C. Cherry, the lunch monitor back in those days, this is about 14 years ago, the lunch monitor, she ran a tight ship, and everything was in order and you did not mess with that, and it did not matter who you were. So I was there, and I kind of knew that, so I was trying to keep the conversation low, not be too loud, and not be disruptive, but uh, I was there with another mentor, and that mentor is a well-known person in our community, uh, had just run a multi-million dollar campaign for a nonprofit, was respected, and probably had never been shushed in his life until that day. He and his mentee got a little bit too loud, and lunch monitor was on it. She got over there, and she's like, you're going to have to keep it down. Shush. And I, I just watched it play out, and I'm thinking, how is this going to go? Well, it doesn't matter who you are. When you're here to serve, it's not about status. You get shushed just like everybody else. And that's what we sign up for. That's what this is about. And so I encourage you just to find the place where, where all of the other stuff falls away, and you just keep offering up the thing. And it's not just one thing. I mean, it's not it's just like you have one gift, and if you mess that up, it's gone. You just kind of keep offering it and find, find your place. It can be trial and error. It does not have to be big. It's just your small part, and it is offered up for the common good. And there are, I just want to remind you that there are people who do this in our life together and who have been doing it for a very long time in the background, doing what they do. And when I think of that kind of service, I think of Judy Dillamartyr who is, by her training, a nurse. But uh, when she joined th this church, she became one of our teachers. And she's been teaching some, in some way or another in our life together since 1969. And Judy is a seeker. She wants to know Jesus, and she wants to also find a place where you can ask questions and talk about Scripture and what Scripture is and what it isn't and be able to doubt and then offer that safe space for other people. And what we're finding is that people are coming to us all the time wanting to do that work, wanting to be able to ask questions and it be okay to ask questions and not lose their faith, but maybe build their faith or rebuild their faith. 
And so as I think about that need and how that is especially true now, I think of people like Judy who have been doing that work for a very long time, for 50 years. And so we got Judy on video to help us hear her story of her serving here. Let's watch. So 1969, I joined this church. But when I came to Broadway, it was to be the first of trying out different Methodist churches. <laughs> uh, I never went to another Methodist church. And I don't know why, I can't tell you why I chose a Methodist church. I didn't know much about Methodists, but I thought there was something there that I wanted. So I walked in the door and I was greeted so warmly. And after a while I thought, why would, why would I want to go anywhere else and try another church? The church has done so much for me in my spiritual growth. I was a seeker. I wanted to know God. And the scripture, seek and you shall get, you know. And I was hungry for that. I wanted more than to just be someone doing different things at church. I wanted to understand and grow. The teacher always learns the most because you want to have uh, enough information. My worry used to be at the beginning that I don't have enough information and I'm going to use it all up before the hour is up, you know, and that never did happen. But um, teaching children is always, you learn something from that. Teenagers, I learned a lot. Adults, I continue to learn from them. Um, I discovered at some point during my teaching you, you know that people will ask you, well, what are you passionate about? Because that's what you ought to be doing. I realize that I'm a questioner, um, a seeker, and I was so grateful to be in a church that allowed me to question. And it wasn't seen as doubt, or even doubt was accepted, because doubt encourages growth. I don't necessarily think it's terribly wrong to doubt some things. Um, so I discovered I had a passion for helping people that had questions and couldn't find a safe place to ask them. But I care about people that uh, have never had an opportunity or felt safe in saying, well, Help me understand this. I'm not sure I believe this. If you can help God <laughs> create in that person a hunger to know more about what this is all about. Um, do they really want to know God? Um, I think that's probably pulled me forward more than anything else 
I have a small group of women. Um, can hardly be called small anymore. Anywhere from 18 to 20 women that we meet together, we pray for each other, we study together. Um, if somebody's sick, we know it. Um, we follow up on it. I have a Sunday school class that's the same kind of thing. I think the church helps us understand we need each other. We're meant to be together. I don't have family that lives here in town. Uh, they love me, but they're not here when I need help. Um, they step up and do what needs to be done to help you out. I don't feel lonely. Um, I don't feel isolated. I feel like if I needed uh, help in some way, I could ask for it. And, um, and I'm not afraid to. You can never pay it back, but you can pay it towards someone else, perhaps. Um, the friends I've made here have been friends for a long time, and I keep making new ones. Um, as people come and go, for whatever reason, um, it's a beautiful family.